Greetings, dear embers. Welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. A special thank you to the reformed members of the channel. Luz, Crispin, Tammy Slayton, CAG, Interscare Wifey, Denise S, Through Scrutiny, Samantha Place, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Normie DW, Christy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, and Patty's niece. If you would like to support the channel or haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe, like, share and comment not only does it help the channel but it also reminds you of every time i upload a video with all of that being said it is time to go back to ashes for once we arise from the ashes we are a bigger brighter stronger and a happier person in the morning sit back relax kick back grab a snack or tuck in to get warm and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled Unsolved Mysteries, Volume 16. Right after this intro, an ad will play. I'll read the first case an ad will play. And after that, there will be no more ads within this video. Esco Hunter, murderer of a 27-year-old man whose body was found near railroad tracks, remains unsolved. Esco Hunter was 27 years old when he was murdered. His body was discovered near railroad tracks in Sarasota County, Florida, more than 20 years ago. And despite the efforts of local authorities, the person responsible for his death has yet to be brought to justice. Michael was from the Miami-Dade area, but he often went to nightclubs in Sarasota as he was involved in the rap industry. He went by the name Lay Low. He also used several aliases, including Jeffrey Scott, Eric Judson, and Aaron Jackson. It was reported that he was the owner of two vehicles, a maroon 1999 Ford van and a white 1992 Ford Mustang convertible. On December 1, 1999, his van was discovered torched on a dead-end street, Orange Avenue, which is near Myrtle Beach, according to the Brandonton Herald. Investigators said the vehicle was deliberately set on fire. Not far from there, Esco Hunter's body was found in a wooded area abutting railroad tracks on Central Avenue and 44th Street. Although the medical examiner's office ruled the manner of Esco's Hunter death a homicide, information about the case of death is unavailable. At the time of his death, Hunter was 6 feet tall and weighed 160 pounds. He had black hair and brown eyes, and he had the letters S-C-O tattooed on his left shoulder. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Esco Hunter is encouraged to contact the Sarasota County Sheriff's Official Criminal Investigations at 941-861-4900. To remain anonymous, call Crime Stoppers at 941-366-TIPS or Submit a tip online. Shamanica Brown was eight years old when she was murdered. Her body was found outside a church in Saginaw, Michigan, more than three decades ago, and the person or persons responsible for her death have yet to be brought to justice. There are a few details available in Shimana's case, but what has been reported is that on the evening of September 18, 1992, she went missing. 
She was last seen playing with several other children at a playground near her home on 12th and Annesley Streets. Shamanica's disappearance prompted a search by law enforcement, but it became to a poignant end four days later on September 22, 1992, when she was found dead. Her body was discovered on the steps of the former Holy Rosary Catholic Church, which was located in the 700 block of South 13th Street at around 10 a.m. that morning. Upon examining her body, local authorities noticed she had motor oil in her hair. An autopsy revealed that Shamanica, a first-grade student at Heavenrich Elementary School, died from strangulation. Our worst fears have been realized. This is a nightmare, said Shamanica's elementary school principal, Lawrence Wells, according to the Herald Palladium. Investigators believe that the two suspects in the case are now deceased. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Shamanica Brown is encouraged to contact the Saginaw Police Department at 989-759-1289. Norris Evans, murder of a 27-year-old mother of four found inside home nearly five decades ago, remains unsolved. Norris Evans was 27 years old when her lifeless body was found inside her residence in Monroe County, New York, nearly five decades ago. The authorities have yet to apprehend the person responsible for her death. On May 22, 1975, Evans' husband went to work at the Rochester Products Division of General Motors while she remained at home on Cron Street in Rochester caring for their four children. They were two, four, six, and three months old. When his shift ended the following morning, May 23, 1975, just shortly after midnight, he returned to his home and discovered it to have been ransacked. He also found his wife dead on the living room floor, according to the Democrat and Chronicle. Evans was naked except for a blouse, and a diaper had been wrapped around her ankles. Experts believe she died at least four hours before her husband found her body. An autopsy revealed that she had been stabbed several times in the chest and neck with a butcher's knife which authorities found adjacent to her body. They also located a cast iron frying pan nearby. Officials stated that the children were inside the home during the crime. Considering the killer took an undetermined amount of money from the home, investigators believe robbery may have been the motive behind the killing, as well as sexual assault. Law enforcement officers have not made any arrests in Evans' case. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved mystery of Norris Evans is encouraged to reach out to the Rochester Police Department at 585-428-7157. Your assistance could be crucial in delivering long-awaited justice for Evans and her family. Jonah Bryant, murder of a 15-year-old boy who spent his last moments protecting his mother, remains unsolved. 
Jonah Bryant was 15 years old when he was murdered while protecting his mother during a home invasion at their home in Savannah, Georgia. More than 20 years have passed, and the person responsible for his death has yet to be brought to justice. According to the Savannah Police Department, on January 4, 2000, Jonah stayed at his home in the 1300 block of East 37th Street, watching television while his mother and younger sister went to the grocery store. At around 8.48 p.m., his mother and sister returned. As they were presumably in the midst of bringing the groceries inside the house, the mother was approached by a dark-skinned black male who was clad in a checkerboard pattern jacket. With his face covered, he pointed a gun at her and attempted to rob her. She told WTOC 11 in 2010 that she gave the man her purse, and he got it and put it under his arm and kept the gun in his hand. Jonah heard the attack and immediately sprung into action to protect his mother and sister. It was reported that he leaped over his mother, who was on the ground, while saying to the burglar, Leave my mama alone. Police officials stated that it was then that the suspect turned the gun on him and opened fire, striking Jonah in the heart. The suspect subsequently fled the scene. Jonah succumbed to his injuries before paramedics arrived. Time of his death, Jonah was a freshman at Savannah High School where he was a component of the JROTC program. He had an interest in joining the Army and later working in law enforcement. In 2014, a reward of up to $13,500 was offered for information that would lead to an arrest, but it is unclear if that reward is still available. Jonah's mother asked for someone to just please come forward. She said, it's hard enough dealing with the loss of my child, but not knowing who did it. It's something else you have to deal with. It was stated that the Savannah Chatham Metro Police Homicide Sergeant said that if anybody knew anything about this case, they would do just a little like Jonah did and just come forward. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Jonah Bryant is encouraged to contact Crime Stoppers at 912-234-2020. Nathan Mathias, murder of a 20-year-old man found outside liquor store over three decades ago remains unsolved. Nathan Mathias was 20 years old when he was murdered. He was found dead outside a store in San Bernardino County, California, more than three decades ago, and the person responsible for his death has yet to be brought to justice. There are a few details available in Mathias's case, but what has been reported is that on December 7, 1987, he went to the Top Hat Liquor Store located in the 1900 block of West Highland in San Bernardino. While standing in front of the store, he was shot and killed, according to the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. A description of the suspect is unknown. On the morning of December 14, 1987, Matthias's relatives held his visitation at Palm Chapel in Fontana. He was then buried at Riverside National Cemetery. 
Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Nathan Mathias is encouraged to contact the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department's Homicide Unit at 909-387-3589 or we tip at 1-800-78-CRIME. Michael Lee Edwards, murder of a 27-year-old police officer whose body was found in an abandoned building remains unsolved. Michael Lee Edwards was 27 years old when he was abducted and murdered after leaving the police academy. His body was later found inside an abandoned, burned-out apartment building in south-central Los Angeles, California. Edwards was a police officer with the Los Angeles Police Department but he was off duty at the time of his death. On May 10, 1974, Edwards went to the Police Academy Bar to celebrate with fellow officers. He was about to go on vacation following a stint with the LAPD anti-gang unit crash, according to ABC7. At around 10.30 p.m., he told other officers that he had to leave because he was going on a date with a woman in Long Beach. Edwards left the academy and was never seen again. At around 9 a.m. the following day, Edwards was found dead. Two teenage boys who were on their way home from the grocery store spotted a body inside an abandoned apartment building at 120 West 86th Street and immediately alerted police. Investigators said Edwards had been dead for several hours before he was found, with his hands handcuffed behind his back and his shirt pulled over his face. An autopsy revealed that Edwards had been shot several times in the back of the head, and his gun, a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson airweight, along with his cash, was missing. Fifteen hours after Edwards' body was found, police officials received a call from a resident in the area of 186th Street and New Hampshire Avenue about an abandoned vehicle. It matched the description of Edwards' car, who had been reported missing. When they arrived on the scene, they verified that the car, a 1972 Gold Pinto station wagon, did indeed belong to Edwards. The vehicle was found about 10 miles away from where his body was located. It was impounded and handed over to the forensics investigation team. Investigators discovered that the keys were still in the ignition and a handkerchief containing fingerprints were found inside the car. When the fingerprints were run through the database, investigators ascertained they did not belong to anyone in the system. Meanwhile, Los Angeles police officers continued their investigation, questioning several residents in the area. A woman who lives near the abandoned building where Edward's body was found told police in 1974 that she heard gunshots between midnight and 1 a.m., but she didn't immediately notify police until after her sons found the body, according to the Vejalo Times-Herald. Another resident claimed to have heard shots as well, but no one saw anything unusual that day. Detective Darren Dupree with the LAPD Robbery and Homicide Division said, It was turbulent times. 
Officers had to be careful. There were a lot of threats against the police department. Edwards joined the force in 1969. He was married with two children at the time of his death, but they were separated. Officials said he was in another relationship with a woman who was opted to remain anonymous for safety reasons. More than four decades have passed and no arrests have been made in connection with Edwards' abduction and murder. His case still remains unsolved. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Officer Police Lee Edwards is encouraged to contact the LAPD Robbery and Homicide Division at 213-486-6830. To remain anonymous, call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or report tips online at www.lacrimestoppers.com. Curtis James McGean, murder of a 13-year-old boy whose burned body was found in a wooded area, remains unsolved. Curtis James McGean, also known as Kurt, was 13 years old when he was murdered. His burned body was found in a wooded field in Tampa, Florida, more than 40 years ago, and the person responsible for his death has yet to be brought to justice. November 8, 1979, Curtis, an 8th grade student at Dowell Junior High School, asked his mother, Gladys McGean, if he could stay home from school. He claimed that he had become indisposed that morning. Gladys told the Tampa Tribune in 1979 that it was rare for Curtis, who is the eldest of three children, to miss school. She said he told her that he felt hot like he had a fever. He never missed school unless he was sick. After she gave her son permission to stay home, Gladys went to work as a teacher's aide at Palm River Elementary School. Between 11.15 and 11.45 a.m., Brenda Hyatt, the dean at Dowell Junior High School, called Curtis at his home to check in on him. He answered the phone, but what he said during their conversation is either unknown or has been not released to the public. Sometime at around 12.30 p.m., Curtis described by friends and relatives as quiet and well-mannered, left his home on South 48th Street, and went to the food mart with empty soda bottles in his hand. He walked to the register and asked the store clerk, Margaret Smith, if he could cash in. She told him that they didn't accept bottles, but Smith suggested he go to Shop and Go, on 22nd Street, Causeway, and Sagagasta Street. Smith said, I watched him walk to shop and go through a wooded path, was out back taking the garbage out and looking for customers who drink beer on the side of the store. When he arrived at shop and go, he asked the store clerk, Loretta Coley, if they took bottles. Coley said yes. She told the authorities she thought it was a bit peculiar that he would ask that kind of question. Most children in the area were cognizant of the fact that the store accepted bottles. Coley cashed in his bottles and watched him leave the store on foot. He didn't have his bicycle, and most people who knew him stated that he always rode his bike. 
Authorities said where he set off after cashing in his bottles is unknown, although several witnesses reported seeing Curtis in the Palm River area and near or inside a gray-colored Volkswagen. When he didn't return home that day, his parents began searching for him. They went to Curtis's friend's house and searched the surrounding areas, but they did not locate him. They contacted the police department at around 5 p.m. and reported Curtis missing. On December 19, 1979, Curtis was found dead about a mile from Shop and Go. The Tampa Bay Times reported that two bakers harvesting palmetto fronds for Cuban bread in a wooded field near 25th Avenue and 54th Street South had discovered the skeletal remains of a human. Those remains were identified through dental records as belonging to Curtis. The medical examiner was unable to determine the cause of death as the body had been badly burned. His death is being investigated as a homicide. In a 2010 interview, Raymond McGean stated that he remembered hearing the news about his brother's death. He was nine at the time. I was numb and I ran away from home. I just stayed away and told myself it wasn't my brother, Raymond said. Police learned through an investigation that a man named Finley Collingwood, then 68, lived in a pup tent near 24th Avenue and 54th Street South. He stated that a month before the remains were found, he heard what sounded like gunshots. There were three or four shots really quick, Collingwood told police in 1979. He added that, People are out here shooting all the time. I didn't pay any attention to the shots. I had a bad ear, and it's hard to tell where the noise was coming from anyway. It is unknown if the shots that Collingwood heard were connected to Curtis's death. Police also discovered that the field where the remains were found was a place where people in the area would illegally dump their trash, although there is a no-dumping-sign place at the location. Investigators searched the area, but they did not uncover any evidence or clues that would help them find out what happened to Curtis James McGean. Police said his bicycle, which he would often ride through the neighborhood, has never been found. His parents stated that if Curtis's body was found in that area, he would have had to have been held against his will, as he never went to that neighborhood. He would only allow Curtis to ride his bicycle to certain places. Before his death, he was allowed to travel to his grandmother's house, which was two miles away from his home, just across McKay Bay. When Curtis James McGean disappeared, his mother said, In our own hearts, we knew we would never see him alive again. I always had a fear that he was abducted, but I didn't voice it. Curtis's mother passed away in 2008 after suffering from a stroke. She died without knowing what happened to her son or why. His siblings are reportedly still alive and presumably still seeking justice. Lieutenant Larry Terry of the Sheriff's Department told the media in 1979 that investigators had talked to a lot of people, but we have no suspects in the case. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Curtis James McGean is encouraged to contact the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office Homicide Section at 813-247-8600.
60. Cameron McLean, murder of a 16-year-old boy found inside his home over five years ago, remains unsolved. Cameron McLean was 16 years old when he was murdered. His body was found inside his home in Marion, Arkansas, more than five years ago, and the person responsible for his death has yet to be brought to justice. The teen was a 10th grader student at West Memphis High School, and he had moved to the area three months prior. On the night of April 30, 2016, officers with the Marion Police Department received a call about a shooting at a home on Sherwood Cove. When they arrived on the scene, they discovered Cameron with multiple gunshot wounds. His mother stated that when she returned home, she found the star football player slumped over on the couch. Officials stated that the killing took place during a home invasion. Evidence suggested that the shooter did not force their way into the house, and they believe that Cameron, who relatives referred to as a good student with a bright future, was targeted. Relatives told reporters that it was unlikely that Cameron knew his killer. His aunt stated that, Anyone around here can tell you that he caused no harm to no one. He was a great child. According to WREG, neighbors were questioned by police, but no one saw the gunman. They only heard the shooting. There are three persons of interest in this case, but detectives need more evidence to make an arrest. After the fatal shooting, classmates of the victim didn't hesitate to congregate at West Memphis High School for a candlelight vigil. His aunt had a message for the killer. She said, quote, Own up to what you did if you are as hardcore as you think you are. And you're out here saying you're as hardcore as you think you are. Own up to it and go do your time. I pray that God has mercy on your soul. Three years after Cameron was murdered, Lieutenant Freddie Williams, the lead investigator in the case, was arrested for drug possession and tampering with evidence. According to Fox 13 News, he was caught on surveillance camera taking drugs from the evidence locker. There has been since a new investigator assigned to the case, and he or she, including the Marion Chief of Police, has asserted that this case is a priority one. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Cameron McLean is encouraged to contact Crittenden County Crime Stoppers at 870-732-4444. Tamika Williams and Jada Allen, 15, murders of a mother and daughter whose bodies were found inside their home remain unsolved. Tamika Williams and her 15-year-old daughter, Jada Allen, were murdered inside the bedroom of their home in North Lauderdale, Florida, more than five years ago, and the person responsible for their deaths has yet to be brought to justice. At around 5.20 a.m. on January 28, 2017, law enforcement officers with the Broward Sheriff's Office were dispatched to a home in the 6800 block of Doral after receiving a 911 call about a shooting. 
When officers arrived on that location, they uncovered two small children inside the home. They were uninjured. Their 48-year-old mother and sister had been shot. The Sun Centennial reported that Jada, a student at Blanche Ellie High School in Papano Beach, was pronounced dead at the scene. Emergency first responders transported Williams, a mother of five, to Broward Health North, where she succumbed to her injuries shortly upon arrival. Police learned through an investigation that while Williams and her daughter were asleep in the same bed, an unknown gunman shot them multiple times. When Williams's other two children heard the shots and heard their mother scream, help me, I got shot, they locked the door and called 911 for help, according to NBC Miami. Quote, Based on our investigative findings so far, we don't believe this is a random act, homicide detective Zachary Scott stated. This was someone personal who knew one, if not both, of our victims and probably acted from some form of emotion, extreme emotion, whether it's anger or jealousy. Because of that extreme emotion, we believe that they're probably still very emotional. They probably said something to somebody, maybe not admitting exactly what they did, but statements that have caught someone's attention. A relative told the media that they believe the killer may be someone they know. It's someone very close to them, someone just very close to us. So at that point, that leaves everybody a suspect. You don't really know who you can even talk to. Jada was described by relatives as a social butterfly who had the prettiest smile and she can just be goofy and just make you laugh. She was that typical teenager. Her mother was known as a reserved person whose life revolved around her children. When she wasn't at work, she was at home with her children. Anyone with information regarding the murders of Tamika Williams and Jada Allen is encouraged to contact either the Broward Sheriff's Office at 954-321-4214 or Crime Stoppers at 954-493-8477 or visit www.BrowardCrimestoppers.org. Crime Stoppers is offering a reward of $6,000 for more information. Johnny Kim Fu Singh, murder of a 25-year-old man who was found outside his home, remains unsolved. Johnny Kim Fu Singh was 25 years old when he was murdered more than 20 years ago in town and country, Florida, and the person responsible for his death has yet to be brought to justice. From 1990 to 1995, Singh studied accounting at the University of South Florida. He also helped run his family's cafeteria-style restaurant called El Dolce Cuba, which was located on Armenia Avenue in Tampa, according to the Tampa Bay Times. He worked at the restaurant seven days a week. He would study and wait tables while his father was in the back cooking, said a woman named Maria Mayor Quinn. They were super good people, and this is something they did not deserve. On the night of June 17, 1997, Singh helped his father clean the restaurant before closing it down for the night. Afterward, they all hopped in the car in Infinity and drove to their home in town and country. Unbeknownst to the Singh family, a small vehicle followed behind them. When they pulled into the driveway of their house in the 7200 block of Coolidge Avenue, 
Singh began helping his father unload the vehicle. That's when a Hispanic or white male, who was between 5'7 and 5'8 with medium black hair, jumped out of his vehicle, grabbed the green duffel bag Singh was carrying, and then shot him once in the chest at close range. The shooter then fled the scene, heading northbound. Singer's sister ran inside the house and called 911. When emergency first responders arrived on the scene, Singh lay bleeding in the driveway. They transported him to St. Joseph's Hospital, where he succumbed to his injuries the following day. Investigators surmise that the suspect may have assumed Singh was carrying a bag full of cash, but in actuality, it contained notebooks and papers from the restaurant. The Tampa Tribune reported that when Hillsborough County Police searched the area for evidence, they found a wool baseball cap in the middle of the roadway. Neighbors stated that the hat wasn't there before the shooting. On the front of the hat, there appeared to be a pair of tennis shoes. One was gold and the other was red. The back was embellished with the brand, Converse. It is a unique hat and we feel that it came off the shooter, said Sergeant John Marciano. I don't think his intention was to do a murder, but at any rate, the gun went off and the bullet found its victim. In 1997, interview, Singh's father said, It's just senseless. It's a senseless killing. A person hasn't led a full life, and what do they, the robbers, get in return for killing a young person? Singh's brother said, I hope they catch the person who did it. It's not human to do something like this. Detectives stated that Converse produced a limited number of hats and they hope that someone will remember seeing someone with a hat and call them with the name. Investigators have worked diligently to find Singh's killer, but ultimately, his case still remains unsolved. Anyone with information regarding the murder of Johnny Kim Fu Singh is encouraged to contact the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office Homicide Section at 813 247 8660. Danielle Robinson, murder of a 34-year-old pregnant woman found in her home five years ago, remains unsolved. Danielle Robinson was 34 years old when she was murdered. She was also pregnant at the time her body was found inside a home in Elkhart, Indiana, five years ago, and the person responsible for her death has yet to be brought to justice. At around 11 p.m. on September 15, 2018, officers with the Elkhart Police Department were dispatched to a home in the 1500 block of Morton Avenue after receiving reports of a shooting, according to a 2018 report from the South Bend Tribune. When the police officials arrived, they discovered Robinson suffering from gunshot wounds. They provided aid until paramedics showed up, but their efforts to save her life were unsuccessful. Robinson was pronounced dead at the scene. She was also seven months pregnant with a baby boy named Daniel. Although the autopsy was scheduled for the following day, there have been no reports on the results. However, the victim's sister told ABC 57 in 2018 that Robinson was shot three times. She said, But we will get justice for her and we won't stop until we find who did this to her. The victim's father told the media that he lost my daughter. Right now, I'm not holding up very good because I'm hurt. 
my daughter is laying out there in the morgue and my grandson is laying out there in the morgue and they have nobody in custody. The police learned through an investigation that several people were inside the home when someone knocked on the door. Moments after Robinson opened the door, she was shot by a black man wearing a hooded sweatshirt. Officials stated that the suspect fled the scene in a dark-colored four-door vehicle. Elkhart County Metro Homicide Commander Mark Daggy told WNDU that they will pinpoint it down as to a better suspect. What we need really right now is for people in this community to come forward. We are asking for their help if they know something. The family remains hopeful that her killer will turn himself in. Her aunt said, What was the goal? What did she do so horrible for someone to do something like this to her? Clear your conscience. Just come forward and, you know, give us some closure on this. I mean, we'll never get closure. We can't get Danielle back, but at least give us a little bit of peace. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Danielle Robinson is encouraged to contact the Elkhart County Homicide Unit at 574-295-2821, Michiana Crime Stoppers at 574-288-STOP, 1-800-342-STOP, or visit MichianaCrimestoppers.com. Tipsters can remain anonymous. Erica J. Sukovich, murder of a 19-year-old woman whose body was found in the backyard of her home, remains unsolved. Erica J. Sukovich was 19 years old when she was murdered. Her body was found in Odessa, Florida, more than 50 years ago, and the person responsible for her death has yet to be brought to justice. In June 1971, Sukovich moved out of her parents' home in Madeira Beach, Florida, and moved in with her 25-year-old boyfriend, Charles Martin. The couple began dating after meeting at a car wash in Pinellas County, where they worked, the Tampa Bay Times reported. Sukovich and Martin were residents of a mobile home at the Seminole Trailer Park in Odessa until August 1972. They then moved to another trailer park at Route 1, Box 430B, just north of Tarpon Springs Road. Three months later, on November 13, 1972, Erica J. Sukovich was found dead. When Martin returned home from his job as a construction worker at around 5.19 p.m. that day, he discovered Sukovich in the backyard lying face down. Martin called 911 after his neighbors confirmed that she was dead. An autopsy revealed that Sukovich had been shot to death. She was shot once in the back and twice in the head with a small caliber weapon. The forensic pathologists stated that she had been dead for several hours before her fully clothed body was found. Investigators could not establish a motive as Sukovich was not sexually assaulted and her home had not been disturbed, according to a 1972 report from the Miami Herald. Martin was questioned by the police twice. He told him that he was at work around the time Sukovich would have been murdered. Major John Sala with the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office said his story will be checked and he will be given a polygraph examination. 
It is unknown if Martin took a polygraph examination or if his story checked out. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Erica J. Sukovich is encouraged to contact the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office Homicide Section at 813-247-8660. Julie Ann Backstrom, murder of a 29-year-old woman whose body was found in a drainage ditch remains unsolved. Julie Ann Backstrom was 29 years old when she was murdered. Her body was found in a drainage ditch in Brevard County, Florida, more than 30 years ago, and the person responsible for her death has yet to be brought to justice. Backstrom worked as a certified nurse's aide for various healthcare agencies. She was originally from Minnesota, but nearly three years before her death, she moved into a complex in Cocoa, Florida with her then eight-year-old daughter, Chelsea. Relatives of the victim told the Orlando Centennial that they saw her on the night of February 9, 1987. She told them that she was heading to Merritt Island the following day to care for a woman who was physically disabled. There is no known information that states whether or not Backstrom actually went to Merritt Island, but Florida Today reported that on the evening of February 10, 1987, Backstrom attended a party in the West Melbourne area. When the party ended, she got into her vehicle, a blue 1982 Plymouth Champ, and began driving to her home in the 600 block of Leo Drive. Backstrom may have never arrived at her location, as she was found dead the next day. A couple traveling east on State Route 528 discovered her partially submerged body in a drainage ditch at around 1.30 p.m. on February 11, 1987. She was laying face down about 1,000 yards east of the Interstate 95, officials said. An autopsy determined that Backstrom's death resulted from a gunshot wound to the head. Detectives stated that evidence suggested she was murdered elsewhere and then her body was dragged to the ditch. On the morning of February 13, 1987, officers with the Brevard County Sheriff's Office were dispatched to a repair shop called Precision Auto Care on Main Street in Mims after receiving a 911 call about a suspicious vehicle. An employee stated that the vehicle had been parked on their property, but it didn't belong to any of their customers. Police officers arrived on the scene and discovered that the vehicle belonged to Backstrom. When officers searched the vehicle, they discovered blood inside. Further investigation pertaining to the blood or who it belonged to could not be found. Joan Heller, the sheriff's spokesperson, said, Certainly getting the car helps. It provides evidence. It may not solve it. Slang. But it can help. Investigators have worked diligently to find Backstrom's killer, but untimely, her case has turned cold. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Julianne Backstrom is encouraged to contact the Brevard County Sheriff's Office at 312-633-8413 or Crimeline at 1-800-4233-TIPS. A reward of up to $5,000 may be offered for more information. Demetrius Griffin, 
murder of a 15-year-old boy whose burned body was found inside a garbage can remains unsolved. Demetrius Griffin Jr. was 15 years old when he was murdered. His burned body was found inside a garbage can in the South Austin neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois, more than five years ago. On the night of September 16, 2016, Demetrius, a freshman at Steinmetz High School, left his house to walk a girl home, and he never returned. His mother, Polly Sykes, began to worry because she said her son was known as a gentle, respectful kid who never missed his curfew, according to ABC7 Chicago. The following morning, Sykes stated that she walked outside and saw the news trucks and heard that a body had been found burning nearby. She said, To hear about a body burning and my son is not home, it destroyed me. It was reported that firefighters with the Chicago Fire Department were dispatched to an alley in the 5500 block of West Cortez Street after receiving several reports of a fire. When the firemen arrived on the scene, they extinguished the fire and made a gruesome discovery. Inside a garbage can near a burned garage was a body that had been burned beyond recognition. The body was transported to the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office for an autopsy and identification. Using dental records, the pathologist was able to identify the remains as those of Demetrius Griffin Jr., who was known as Nunny in his community. ABC7 New York reported that Demetrius died from thermal injuries due to an incendiary fire in a garbage can, which means he was alive when the fire was started. His death was ruled a homicide. The detective stated that whoever started the deadly fire may have suffered burns. The news of Demetrius's death quickly disseminated through the South Austin neighborhood, stunning residents, friends, and his own family members. They stated that he was close to his parents, loved dogs, and he wanted to join the high school's swim team. Sykes told WGN-TV that although Demetrius was not affiliated with a gang, he told her that a gang was trying to recruit him. I knew they was messing with him. The guys in the neighborhood were bothering with him. So I was picking him up and driving him. This particular night, I didn't. CBS News reported that Demetrius's aunt spoke with CBS 2's Dana Kozlock and blamed the street's code of silence and the police for not retrieving information in the case that could help solve it. Can you imagine the screams? Burning him alive and you did nothing? How can they pay the attention to this case that it needs if they are constantly called away because someone else has been murdered? At around 7 p.m. on September 20, 2016, a candlelight vigil was held for Demetrius Griffin Jr. at the alley where his body was found. More than 150 people were in attendance. Polly Sykes spoke at the vigil. She said, Some monster out there murdered my son. They murdered my baby. If anybody has seen anything, please help us. He was just a baby. He didn't deserve this. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Demetrius Griffin Jr. is encouraged to contact the Chicago Police Department at 312-744-8261 or submit a tip online. 
a $15,000 reward is being offered for more information. Maxine Bitomsky, murder of a 73-year-old woman whose body was found inside her home, remains unsolved. Maxine Bitomsky was 73 years old when she was murdered. Her body was found inside her home in Kittery, Maine, more than 25 years ago, and the person responsible for her death has yet to be brought to justice. On the morning of January 16, 1993, Bitomsky was found dead by her grandson, who had come to visit her at her Cape Cod-style home on Colonel Road, according to Maine State Police and the Maine Department of Public Safety. Bitomsky was last seen alive the previous night on January 15, 1993, by her granddaughter, who went to check on her at her home. An autopsy determined that Maxine Bitomsky's death was a homicide. However, investigators refused to reveal how she was killed. Stephen McCausland, a spokesperson for the Maine Department of Public Safety, told the Banger Daily News in 1993 that, There was suspicion right from the very start. There were some questions that only the medical examiner could answer. We got those answers Sunday afternoon, McCausland said, and the scope of the investigation changed. We're now talking about a homicide. Batomsky had lived at her home, which was located in a neighborhood off Route 236 for 40 years, but 10 of those years were spent alone after the death of her husband. Following her death, Kittery police officials questioned her relatives, friends, neighbors, and a suspect, but no arrests have been made in connection with her death. More than two decades have passed, and yet Batomsky's murder remains unsolved. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Maxine Batomsky is encouraged to contact the Maine State Police, Major Crimes Unit at 1-800-228-0857, in-state, or 207-624-7076, out-of-state. Tipsters can also submit a tip online. Pamela Franklin, murder of a 20-year-old woman whose body was found in an orange grove, remains unsolved. Pamela Franklin was 20 years old when she was murdered. Her body was found in an orange grove in Auburndale, Florida, more than two decades ago, and the person responsible for her death has yet to be brought to justice. At around 3.30 p.m. on November 24, 1994, a partially burned body was discovered in an orange grove near the area of Old Dixie and Saddle Creek Road, according to the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Ten days later, the medical examiner identified the body through dental records as that of Franklin, whose last known address was 906 West 7th Street in Lakeland. An autopsy revealed that Franklin, who had the letter P engraved in one of her teeth, was the victim of a homicide as she was stabbed to death before being set on fire. Police officials were initially reluctant to release details in the case, such as the cause of death or the time she was murdered. Sheriff's spokesperson Sonia Dodds said, That's something that's instrumental in our case. It's something only the suspect would know. 
A month before Franklin met her demise, she was arrested on drug and prostitution charges. It was alleged that she was a cocaine user. Investigators have worked diligently to find Franklin's killer, but ultimately her case has turned cold. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Pamela Franklin is encouraged to contact the Polk County Sheriff's Office Homicide Unit at 863-298-6379 or send an email to coldcase at polksheriff.org. Rona Louise Monison, murder of a 19-year-old college student whose body was found in a pond, remains unsolved. Rona Louise Monison was 19 years old when she was murdered. Her body was found in a pond near her dormitory in Tampa, Florida, more than 45 years ago, and the person responsible for her death has yet to be brought to justice. Monison was a freshman at the University of South Florida, and she lived in a private dormitory in Fontana Hall on Fletcher Avenue, located across the street from the USF campus. On the morning of October 2, 1972, Monison, who was originally from Long Island, New York, left her dormitory to go shopping at Cook's Department Store on 50th Street. When she failed to return to her dorm that night, her roommate contacted the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office and reported her missing, as the Tampa Bay Times reported in 1972. Three days later, on the afternoon of October 5, 1972, Monson was found dead, floating in a pond about two miles north of USF. It was reported that when a man was walking his dogs near Skipper Road and 30th Street, the animals picked up a scent and led him to her decomposed body. She was nude from the waist down. The body could not be immediately identified because the features were obliterated by the immersion of the water, according to a publication in 1972. With dental x-rays from her dentist in New York and fingerprints, they were later able to make a positive identification. The fingerprints experts used to help identify her were from her vehicle, a gray 1960 Chevrolet Impala, which was found parked at the Gates apartment across the pond. An autopsy later revealed that Monison died from a blow to the head. Sheriff's Major John Sala told the Tampa Tribune in 1972 that, it appears a sex crime was involved, and she resisted. However, a medical examiner could not confirm if she had been sexually assaulted. Through a police investigation, it was uncovered that the USF student may have picked up a hitchhiker moments after leaving her dorm, as students on campus claimed she was friendly and had a habit of picking up hitchhikers in the area. Due to the condition of the body, authorities believe she was killed immediately after she picked up the hitchhiker. They also stated that her body had been floating at the edge of the pond for one to three days before she was found. Several months after Monison was found dead, her parents, who had moved to Cape Coral, Florida, offered a $5,000 reward for information leading to an arrest and conviction. Throughout the years, investigators have questioned more than 200 witnesses, but none of the information they provided led to a suspect in the case. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Rona Louise Monison is encouraged to contact the Hillsbury County Sheriff's Office Homicide Section at 
1-800-926-8660. Callers can refer to the following case number, 1972-044-096. Evelyn Grace Shank, murder of a 45-year-old woman whose body was found in a drainage ditch, remains unsolved. Evelyn Grace Shank was 45 years old when she was murdered. Her body was found in a drainage ditch in Las Vegas, Nevada, more than 60 years ago, and the person responsible for her death has yet to be brought to justice. On the night of February 4, 1959, an employee at the travel lodge, where Shank worked as a front desk clerk, arrived to relieve her of her duties. When he noticed the switchboard and desk area were unoccupied, he thought he'd look for her, according to the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Moments before he went in search of his co-worker, he noticed a 1949 or 1950 Ford sedan, possibly dark blue in color, parked near the front door of the establishment with the headlights on. The vehicle was gone when he returned from his search. Employees at the travel lodge contacted the authorities and reported Shank missing. Officers with LVMPD arrived on the scene and began searching for clues. Upon doing so, they discovered that Shank's purse, sweater, and vehicle had been left behind. There was also cash in the amount of $174.50 that had been stolen from the cash register. Their findings led them to believe that Shank was a victim of robbery and abduction. As stated by LVMPD, an all-points bulletin was broadcast and roadblocks were then set up in Henderson, Boulder City, Las Vegas, and Clark County in an effort to find Shank. The Independent Press Telegram reported in February 1959 that hundreds of volunteers joined in on the search. On February 7, 1959, Shank was found dead. Two teenage sisters riding horses in the Warner Springs area discovered her body in a drainage ditch near the Blue Diamond Mine. Her remains were transported to the medical examiner's office for an autopsy to determine the cause of death. The results confirmed that Shank had been shot in the head with a 3220 caliber revolver, which was later located at a local pawn shop. A police investigation revealed that after Shank was abducted, she was held hostage for 24 hours before she was forced to walk to a ditch about 25 feet from the highway where she was shot dead. As reported by the Sacramento Bee in February 1959, Sheriff W.E. Butch Leipold, it appears the motive was robbery and an attempt to cover up the robbery by taking her hostage. On March 24, 1959, deputies brought a 46-year-old taxicab driver from Chicago, Illinois in for questioning. They learned that he had previously owned a gun similar to the one used in Shank's shooting. The cab driver denied having anything to do with Shank's murder. He told investigators that he was in a Chicago courtroom at the time of the slaying. He was never arrested. Throughout the years, investigators have worked diligently to find Shank's killer, but her case remains unsolved. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Evelyn Grace Shank is encouraged to contact the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department's Homicide Section at 702-825-3521 or send an email to 
homicide at lbmpd.com. Refer to her case number, CCSO 100-294. Jennifer Delgado, murder of an eight-year-old little girl who was attacked while helping her mother at a laundromat remains unsolved. Jennifer Delgado was eight years old when she was murdered more than three decades ago. She was attacked while helping her mother do laundry at a laundromat in San Antonio, Texas, and the person responsible for her death has yet to be brought to justice. On the night of June 6, 1988, Jennifer, a student at Westwood Terrace Elementary School, had accompanied her then 25-year-old mother, Melita Delgado, to a laundromat in the 100 block of West Oak Road to help wash her clothes. Her father stayed behind at their home across the street, according to KENS 5. At around 8 p.m., Melita and her daughter were alone when a Caucasian or Hispanic male in his late teens or early 20s entered the coin-operated laundry. The man, who was clad in a flower print shirt, walked to the bending machine to purchase a soda. He inserted his money, but the machine seemingly malfunctioned as it shortchanged him. He became irate and began kicking the machine. KSAT reported that he succeedingly pulled out a knife and stabbed Jennifer once in the abdomen before stabbing her mother in the left shoulder. With her hands cradling her stomach, Jennifer ran across the street to her home, her mother behind her, screaming and yelling. When a neighbor heard the commotion, she went outside to see what was going on. That's when Melita asked her to go get her husband. Before the neighbor could oblige, she told the media that she saw Jennifer collapse in her front yard near a tree. Jennifer's father subsequently ran outside. When he realized his wife and daughter were injured, he immediately called 911 for help. By the time emergency first responders arrived on the scene, witnesses said that the suspect had already fled in a silver two-door Honda that was driven by another individual according to officials of the San Antonio Police Department. Paramedics transported Jennifer and Melita to Wilford Hall Air Force Medical Center for treatment. Melita survived the attack, but Jennifer succumbed to her injuries at 11 p.m. that same day. Jennifer was later buried at Cotella East Cemetery in LaSalle County, Texas. In 2001, some of Jennifer's elementary school classmates convened for a small vigil to commemorate the 13th anniversary of her death, said a classmate. It was held at the location of the attack, which was a laundromat at the time, but is now a bank. 31 years later, I still think about her and sad how the killer was never caught, according to a Facebook post. Police Detective John Lopez told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram in 1988 that they don't have any motive. We don't have any reason for it. We don't have anything. Anyone with information regarding the unsolved murder of Jennifer Delgado is encouraged to contact the San Antonio Police Department's Homicide Unit at 210-207-7635 or Crime Stoppers at 210-224-STOP.
And that, dear listeners, brings a close to these true Unsolved Mysteries, Volume 16. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed these cases. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.